Nobody said we were a perfect church, okay? We, uh, we're still working out the, the kinks. Hey, I, I know we're not a perfect church because the person speaking to you is not perfect, but I am sure glad that the Lord has changed my life. I cannot imagine the road, the destiny that was headed for me, that I was heading on, had Jesus Christ not radically changed my life. Uh, Robbie Reisner um, was an ace pilot. Uh, he fought uh, valiantly in the Korean War in the 1950s. In fact, he was responsible for shooting down eight MiGs all by himself, eight. He was an ace pilot. He's a patriot. He's a war hero. September the 16th, 1963, uh, Reisner was with the other um, Air Force pilots flying over uh, North Vietnam. And he, along with John McCain and some other men, were shot down. And for the next seven and a half years, Robbie Risner, R-I-S-N-E-R, make sure I'm saying his name right, Robbie Risner, his plane was shot down. And for the next seven and a half years, he was a POW, a prisoner of war, in a place called the Hanoi, anybody know what this is? The Hilton, that's right. A few years ago, I had a chance to visit Hanoi. Had a chance to go and visit the Hilton where they stayed those seven and a half years. And it was one of the most eerie and enlightening experiences I ever had. And the pictures are still posted on the walls of our servicemen who, many of them, suffered horribly, were brutally treated. Robbie Risner wrote a book, in fact, entitled The Passing of the Night, where he details and he chronicles the different events that happened to him during those seven and a half years. He said, even though... I was tortured, even though it was some of the most extreme conditions I'd ever been in. He said, I never felt closer to God than I did in those seven and a half years. You know, tragedy and difficulty do two, one of two things. They alienate us from God, or they galvanize even more our relationship with God. He said, one night I had a vision. Now, I'm kind of like you. I'm suspect of people having vision. I think maybe they ate too much pizza the night before or something. I, I'm like, yeah, you had a vision, but what did the vision, what did it say? He said the apostle Peter appealed to me in a vision and said, be strong, have courage, don't give up, hope is coming. There's another guy in the Bible that also had a vision. He, like Robbie Risner, was suffering under horrible conditions, but this man, his name was John. He was the, one of the original apostles of Jesus Christ. And John is exiled. He's banished on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and his testimony for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John, however, did not have a vision of his buddy Peter. He had a vision. He had a revelation and unveiling the apocalypse of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for you this passage of Scripture where John is arrested in his spirit. On the Lord's day, he, he is in the Holy Spirit, and he sees Christ, and he reveals to us what he saw in verses 12 through 20. And so, if you're a guest today, God bless you. We're so glad that you're here. We are in a verse-by-verse -verse study of the apocalypse, the great unveiling of Jesus Christ, and, and we're just having a great time. Today, we're going to cross a miraculous threshold. We are going to actually finish a chapter in Revelation. I tell you, it's amazing. It, it can be done. Because I, I, I know a lot of you don't, don't know me, but I really get excited when I get to preach God's Word. And sometimes I could spend 45 minutes like on one verse because it's so rich, it's so amazing, and I'm so honored to be able to stand and preach the Word of God. So here it is, 
Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. John said, I turned to see that voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. He was clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Did you hear Janice's song just a moment ago? She sang the text. She sang the Word of God. And exactly what she sang is where she got this, is right here from the text. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He, the Son of Man, Jesus, had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And John says, when I saw him, I didn't complain, I didn't tell God what I thought about this or that. He said, when I saw the Lord Jesus Christ, I fell down at his feet as if I were dead. Listen, when you see God for God who He really is in His holiness, you will always see yourself as you are in your sinfulness. You cannot help but come into the majesty and the glory and the pristine beauty of Jesus Christ and not see Him for who He is and not simultaneously see us for who we are. And John says, I fell down at His feet like, like I was dead, but He laid His right hand on me, come on now, and He said, do not be afraid, John. Stop fearing, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades, or hell, and of death. And then he says, John, maybe by now John's kind of, he's kind of like, oh my word, I, I, I saw the Lord and I'm still alive. And so he says, John, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Now, in verse 20, Jesus is going to reveal to us this mysterious, ominous metaphor of the golden lampstands and the stars. And so, Jesus tells John, the mystery or the hidden thing now revealed of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, here it is. The seven stars are the angels. And the Greek word there is angelos. It literally means a messenger. The most traditional and I think most trustworthy interpretation of this verse is these angelos, these messengers, are the local pastors of these churches. He said, in my right hand these stars are the angels, and the seven golden lampstands which you saw are the seven churches that I shared with you in verse 11. And so what we have here is this unveiling, this revealing of Jesus Christ as He is, now with me, stay with me, post-resurrection, post-ascension, Jesus Christ, He lived a perfect life and He was crucified. He bore our sins in His body on the tree. He died for us on Good Friday. He was placed in the tomb and on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, hallelujah, up from the grave. He arose, He ascended to the Father, and now in AD 95, during Domitian's reign, the emperor Domitian over Rome, he comes to his beloved apostle, John, and he says, John, I want you to write what you just saw. Write what and describe to others how you saw me, and then I want you to write about what I'm about to tell you about these seven churches, and then I want you to write 
what will be the future of the entire world. Now, I tell you guys, there is a lot going on in this world, and I see a lot of prophecy being fulfilled. Even today with Putin over in Russia, I, I believe God is just lining things up for the return of His Son. So, many Americans are very, very intrigued with the book of Revelation. 54 million, there's only like 300 million of us in total, 310 to be exact. But a number of years ago, 54 million Americans read either one or two volumes of the seven volumes in the Left Behind series. There are books being written every day and published about the end times, about eschatology, about the return of Christ. And let me just give you this caveat, let me just give you this word of encouragement, but also a word of warning. Whenever somebody writes a book about the end times, please always judge that book, that author, by this book, okay? Because there's a lot of theories, there are a lot of thoughts floating around out there, but always judge it by what God's Word says. And also be careful if somebody is very definitive and they have no ambiguity whatsoever. They're saying, this is exactly what is going to happen, and yet God's Word is silent about it. You need to treat that as it is. It is man's opinion, okay? But if it's in this book, which is God's Word, then we're going to take it, we're going to believe it, receive it, and put it into practice. So, what we want to do is we're going to look at uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and uh, then we're going to look at the response, and then finally, Jesus' restatement. So, look with me if you have your, um, oh, your insert. Your, there's lots of blanks on that page. You notice that? I say there's all kinds of blanks. Like some of you, the blank looks that you're giving me this morning. It's wonderful. There, there are blanks all in that sheet of paper, and I want you to fill it out. I, I want you to learn today. Listen, my greatest desire as a Bible teacher is to do that. It is not to entertain you. It is to teach you uh, God's Word. So, I want you to open up that little uh, sheet of paper, and the first thing you write, number one, is the word revelation. And I'm going to walk with you through what Jesus did as He revealed Himself to John. First of all, you see the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars. And as I shared with you a moment ago, what that means is Jesus is seen in this vision that John sees Him, and there are seven golden lampstands. Now, a lampstand is just that. It is a stand on which you put the lamp. And that is very important because the, the, the lampstand is, is important. But what's on top of it that gives light is most important. So Jesus, He's the light of the world, but He is walking around in the midst of His churches, and in His right hand, He holds the seven angels or the seven messengers of those local churches. And guys, I want to tell you something. This speaks volumes about New Testament Christianity. Because New Testament Christianity places a lot of emphasis on the local church and upon the pastor or the leader of that local church. And that's going to get kind of strange with, with you a little bit because I'm going to actually have to talk about the pastor, and I happen to be the pastor, so it's going to be just a little bit strange, but I want you to stay with me because John sees this vision. This is very important. You cannot separate New Testament Christendom, New Testament Christianity apart from the local church. And people try as they may. They say, well, I can worship God at the lake. I can worship God at the golf course. I can live, with, I can live just fine without the church. You can say that in an Americanized version of Christianity, but that is not biblical Christianity. You cannot separate God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the people of God. They go together. And so you're like, well, duh, I'm here, aren't I? And so, yeah, you believe that, and I'm glad because Jesus believes that. He's walking around in the midst of His churches. 
Some, next time somebody comes up to you and they say, oh, I don't believe in all that churchianity stuff. I don't, I don't need all that. Just ask them this. Just say, hey, you, are you married? And they may say, well, yeah, yeah, married. You know, many times the Bible refers to Jesus as the groom, as the husband, and the church as his bride, okay? Now stay with me. So ask him, say, hey, are you married? They say, well, yeah, I'm married. Say, what'd you do on your honeymoon? He said, I'm not going to tell you all that. No, 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 just, just, just talk to me just, just a minute. Can you imagine a husband with his wife walking down the, the aisle? Jeff and Katie, y'all going to get married here just a, just a little bit. Whoop, amen. That sounded like a Texas A&M thing. I don't know what's up with that, but I'm sorry. And so Jeff's going to be standing here or wherever y'all are going to be in downtown Austin. I'm going to be there because I'm going to help with their wedding. I'm all excited about it. And Jeff is standing there, and he's going, yes, here comes my bride, Katie. And, dun, 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 dun. and here she comes walking down the aisle, and they get married. And then they, they, on their honeymoon, he says, hey, it's been great, but I'm going to go hang out with the guys, and I'm going to live with them now. And I'm going to, I'm, in fact, I may even move back in with my parents, even though we're married we're not going to live together. You say, that's ludicrous. That's absolutely preposterous. That's ridiculous. And so it is if we think that we can be married to Jesus but not hang out with Him and not hang out with His people, all right? So try that on somebody, and um, if they swing at you, just duck, but it's, it's, it's good. Okay, let me talk about these pastors for just a moment. Now, no, really, guys, this is the vision that John sees. He sees Christ walking around in the midst of His church, church is, and by the way, you look at verse 11. I'm not taking it out of context because it says the church at Ephesus and Smyrna and so forth. And so in his hand are these pastors. I think that's pretty impressive. God values me so much that he holds me in the hollow of his hand because he knows that what I'm doing is very important for the kingdom of God, and it's becoming increasingly more and more dangerous to practice my profession, yea, even in... America, okay, and especially in China, and especially in India, and places of Africa, it is a very dangerous occupation. Now, I'm grateful to God that we've got men loaded and packed right here, right now, and if somebody were to come after me, they're going to take them out, and I'm going to be grateful, and I hope I live to see it, all right? Please don't get any ideas of taking me out, all right? I, I don't want to be taken out. I, I want to hang around here because, you know, God has called me here, but Jesus holds us in the palm of His hand. And because he knows it is dangerous, it's difficult, I heard a guy say this statement, and I, man, I'm processing this, and I want y'all to stay with me, and, and, and I'm re it's really strange what I'm about to say, because, you know, a lot of times pastors, they just get kicked to the curb, they're like, oh, you're after his money, oh, you're after his a bunch of women, and oh, you're after his a bunch of this and that, and I'm like, you know, 99% of the pastors aren't like that at all. They love God, they love their wife, not your wife, you know what I'm saying? They're walking with Jesus. Here's what one preacher said last week in Houston, and I heard him, and I'm still processing it, preacher. He said this, he said, the way you treat your pastor is a good indication of the way you treat your God. Now, don't misunderstand that. Don't think, well, you saying you're God? No, I'm far from it. Ask my wife. She'll say, no, he's not. I'm, I'm telling you, he's not. But the way you look upon spirituality and spiritual men of God is probably a good reflection of how you look at the Son of God as He is hanging around, walking around, holding these pastors in the midst of His hand. Okay, number, number two or B, the Son of Man. Ooh, look at this, look at this. He is describing Jesus. And He says, He, there He is, one like unto Daniel 7, 13, the Son of Man, 80 times. 
80 times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Many people want to call him the Son of God, and Jesus is okay with that, but he really likes this nomenclature, this title of Son of Man, because yes, he is God, he is deity, but he's taken upon human flesh. He walks where we walk. He lives where we live. He suffered like we suffer, and yet he, he bore it all, and he shows us as mere mortals, he shows us how we are to live a life pleasing unto God. One like unto the Son of Man. And see, look at his garments. See his garments. He has two pieces of clothing that are rather conspicuous in John's vision. First of all, he has a robe on. Now, this robe signifies a priestly function. Seven of the eight times this word is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, seven of the eight times it always refers to the robe of the high priest. This robe represents dignity and greatness. The golden band here, this golden band or this sash, it was a garment, if you look at me for just a minute, it was a garment, it's like a golden band wrapped around his chest that went under the armpits. And John knows immediately what this is. Jesus Christ is the high priest, and there he is in that long flowing robe and with this sash, uh, this, this garment of, of gold, if you will. One writer I read is Dr. David Jeremiah. He said, boy, isn't this interesting? Last time we saw Jesus, there he was in John 13. He had a towel, and he was washing these dirty, dusty Galilean feet, and he was about to be crucified, and he's, and he's about to be humiliated. He's going to be beaten beyond recognition, okay? But he's laid that towel aside, and now John sees him as he is. And there he is in all of his glory. And John is describing this picturesque description of who Jesus Christ is. And he is the high priest. And a priest, what does a good priest do? A good priest represents people to God and God to the people. And there Jesus is, and he's long flowing priest in this golden sash. And next, besides his garments, look, look with me at his head and his hair. Woo, look at this. Jesus' head and hair are white as wool, and I really like that. Y'all know what I'm saying? With my white head up here, I like— Listen, this is not a sign of senility. This is not a sign necessarily of, of old age, certainly not fragility, but this is a sign of deity, of holiness, and wisdom, and knowledge. Whenever it says, in his hair is white as snow, lukos is the Greek word there, and it means to be bright, to be blazing, and to be brilliant. Next are his eyes. Are y'all with me this morning? Are, are y'all, do you see this? There Jesus is in his glory now, and he's revealing himself to John. John's got this long flowing, I mean, Jesus has this long flowing robe, has this golden sash, has his white hair, and he has these eyes like a flame of fire, and this golden look in his eyes. And John is mesmerized by what he, by what he sees, and this is his vision. And in Jesus, in his penetrating gaze and vision, nothing escapes his vision, especially nothing in his church. I mean, Jesus loves the world, amen. We know John 3, 16, but I want to tell you something, he really loves his church. And he knows what's going on in these local assemblies, these ecclesias, these bodies of Christ. And so he sees, and next is his feet. John says his feet are like brass. And sometimes we would connote brass with uh, immobility, but just the opposite. Jesus has this alacrity, this eagerness, this easiness of movement about him, and John sees him. And the next, he hears his voice. 
And last week we talked about the voice of the Lord, and it's like the sound of many waters. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 2, and it talks about the voice of God. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice, His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with His glory. What about His mouth? Now this is interesting. John says in verse 16, he says, He had in His right hand seven stars. Out of His mouth went a sharp, double-edged sword. Now can you picture in your mind's eye that Jesus Christ is standing there and protruding out of His mouth is this glistening, bright, beautiful sword. Now those that you know your Bible, you, you know what this is talking about. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is likened unto a sword. Ephesians 6.17, the Bible itself is described as the sword of the Spirit. This speaks of God's authority. It speaks of His protection. It speaks of His provision for His people. The Word of God. Mm-mm. Let me tell you something. You might not get all excited about Jesus and about His church and about the Bible, but I want to tell you something. I sure do. Because everything is centered on Him on the Word of God, on what He says, on the very words of God. And what I'm holding in my hand, these 66 books of canonical Scripture, I'm telling you, this is God's Word. Let me, let me tell you just a minute about, about how important this is. It is so very extremely, absolutely important for you as a Christian to study this book daily. Let this book become a part of who you are. And when we come together as a church, it's absolutely important to come together and study God's, God's Word. Over the last uh, couple of days, had a chance to uh, be trained uh, in evangelism. Even though I have a PhD in it, I still uh, learn and love learning from Fred and Melissa Campbell. And we had lots of people go through the training, and it was it was incredible. And the thing I love about this training, it is all built upon God's word. And when you share with people, you actually use stories to communicate the gospel. Now, Kendallin, I didn't ask for your permission to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyhow. I'm going to talk about one of the people in that class. Remember, Jesus holds me in his hand, and I'm special, and all that, so don't, don't get mad, all right? So anyhow, she's sitting out there in, in, the, um, in, in the room, and she's in study, and, and one of the guys says, anybody got a prayer request? And Kendallin, who's one of our brand new members of our church, and she raises her hand, and she goes, I just want you all to know something. This scares me to death. This, this evangelism, this telling the scriptures and talking to people about God, I don't know, but I, I'm sitting here, and I know I'm getting trained, but with, I'm, I just need to be more bold. Is anybody else can relate to that? I mean, you love God, you love the Word of God, and you want to tell people about God, but you just get tongue-tied and you get nervous. And so Richard, one of our other new members of our church, he raises his hand. He says, I will pray for you, Kendallin, and he prays for her. I kid you not. I come to church this morning, and here comes Kendallin. She's walking down the, 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 the aisle over here, and I said, hey, how's it going? And she's just beaming. I mean, man, her hair's not white as snow, and her eyes are not brass, but I mean, she is, she is beaming with joy. And I said, what's going on with you? She goes, I just led somebody to Christ last night. And I was like, you did? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was like, you, you did? And she goes, yes. She said, I had an opportunity. There was, a, there was somebody that goes to our church, and I said, do you mind if I try this out on you? And the person says, yeah, go ahead, do it. And so she, she talked him through the gospel, and, and part of the training, you're supposed to say, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to receive Christ? And then the person says, I want to do that. And she's like, oh, I thought you went to our church. She says, I do, but I still want to do that. Hey, listen, just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Coming to church 
does not, does not make you a Christian. Okay, this is a sacred place. This is a holy place. This is a place where Jesus is. This is a place where His Word is honored, but God don't have no grandchildren. He doesn't have any grandchildren. All He has is children, all right? So here He is. He sees Jesus and all these attributes, all these amazing things. And one last thing He sees after His mouth is He sees His face. Now remember, Peter, James, and John, in Matthew chapter 17, they saw Jesus transfigured. The Greek word is metamorphosis. What is on the inside? erupts, comes out on the outside, and they see Jesus. And it says in verse 2 of Matthew 17, His face shone like the sun. Sixty-five years ago, John saw Him. Saw Him walking along the Sea of Galilee. Saw Him transfigured. Saw Him impaled upon a cross. Saw Him beaten beyond recognition, bloody, disfigured. And now He sees Jesus in His resurrection, in His power. And the reason I named this sermon indescribable is because John is just doing the best he can to describe the indescribable. How do you describe Jesus Christ in all of His glory, in all of His pristine love, in all of His, all of His beauty? Well, secondly, notice with me the response. John responds, and I read this to you in a moment ago, but in verse 17 he says, He fell at His feet as dead with all A-W-E, with wonder, with amazement, he, he sees, and, and with fear. And Ezekiel, Daniel, Paul, other biblical figures, whenever they have this, this epiphany, this theophany, if you will, this appearance of the divine, they all have the same response. They fall down in the presence of God, and you cannot help. Listen, when you see God as He is, you cannot help but have this reverential nature about you. You cannot help but say, God in His holiness, and then we see ourselves in our sinfulness, and John falls down at His feet uh, to worship Him. You know, it's funny, in, when I was in Houston this, this week, I spoke uh, Monday morning to a group of pastors, and then that night, uh, this pastor named Herb Revis, he preached to the, to the assembly, and it was a powerful sermon, and I'm sitting there. And, uh, and by the way, preachers need to go and hear sermons. You know, we, we need to be preached to. We need to be fed. So I'm sitting out there at Sagemont Baptist Church, and, and Herb Revis opens up his Bible, and he says, I want to preach a message for you tonight from Revelation chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. It's like, it's like say what? I said, that's exactly what I'm going to be preaching on. And then he, opens, he goes, I want to tell you, the title of my sermon is, The Kind of Church That God Attends. And he began to preach a sermon about the kind of church where Jesus goes. And, he, and he's, he's describing how Jesus is the centerpiece of the church, just like John described. And he says, so many times we have this twisted, truncated view of church when it's really not the church at all. He tells a story about this cowboy, this Texas cowboy who goes, you know, he, he's dressed like a cowboy. I mean, he's got his boots on, you know, he's got his dirty jeans on, and he's got his shirt, and he don't have no jacket, and he goes to the first Baptist church there in the local town, and he just says, you know, I, I hadn't been to church in a long time. I don't know how people are going to treat me, you know, but I'm, I'm going to go in. He said, I went in, and oh, my word. He said, people were absolutely decked out in pearls and necklaces and golden earrings and, and mink around their neck and the three-piece suits and the shining shoes. And he said, whoa, did I ever feel out of place. And so he kind of sat back there in the back, you know, like some of y'all are doing, sitting in the back. Amen. Nobody's seeing me. I'm just kind of sitting here. And um, 
And when he got up to leave, the pastor went and stood in the back because the pastor wanted to say something to him. Sure enough, the cowboy grabbed his hat and he was walking out. And the preacher said, excuse me, sir. He said, um, I, the pastor said, I know you kind of dressed a little bit differently. Do you, do you feel out of place? And the cowboy said, yes, I do. And the preacher said, good, you should. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go pray to God and ask God, how should I dress when I come to the First Baptist Church? All right, then you come back next Sunday. And the cowboy, he was just a teeny bit upset, all right? He didn't tell him what he wanted to tell him, but he just said, okay. And so he went, the week went by, next Sunday, sure enough, he walked into the First Baptist Church, and there it was, man, I mean, people were decked out, and they looked amazing, and they had all this jewelry and all these suits and all these fancy dresses, and he walks in with his cowboy clothing on. He's got his britches, and, and they're all wrinkled, and he's got his old plaid shirt untucked. Oh, if I untuck this thing, I'll have to leave it untucked. Hey, man, let me untuck this. Woo, show my belly, old man. Hold on, look out. All right. Don't that just look cool? Say, not really, brother. It looks awful. I'm, I'm just going to untuck it. So he said, you know, I went into the church, and uh, pastor came up to me and said, uh, Mr. Cowboy, I just want to ask you a question. Did you not do what I told you to do? Did you not pray and ask God, how should you dress when you come to my church? He said, well, yeah, I did. I prayed and asked God, and I said, God, how shall I dress when I go to that church? And God told me, I don't know. I've never been to that church. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, the church, it's not about this stuff. It's not about fabric. You'll never read in the Bible where fabric is sacred. Neither is a genre of music sacred. I'm telling you what's sacred. Jesus is sacred. And the Word of God is sacred. And whenever we're bragging on Him and preaching about Him and loving Him, it's going to be all about Him. And we're going to we're going to have an encounter with God. We're going to really meet God in His holiness, and we'll do what John says and just go prostrate. But I want you to notice what Jesus did. In Jesus' response in verses 17 and 18, He laid His right hand, the hand of authority, on John, and He told him these words. And a very good translation in the Greek New Testament is, stop present imperative. With this conjunction, it's a powerful, it's a powerful language and syntax. He says, stop being afraid. Hey, some of y'all need to hear this today. Listen to me. Some of y'all are like the cowboy. You haven't been to church in a long time. You don't like church. You really don't like me, especially after I untuck my shirt. You especially don't like me, okay? But you just kind of look. And listen, you come here, and you might be offended, or you might even be fearful. I want you to know something. God absolutely, unequivocally loves you, okay? He loves you for who you are. He doesn't love you for what you need to become. He loves you for who you are. And it could be that God Almighty, through the power of His Spirit, would lay His hand on you today and say, stop being critical or stop being afraid. It's, it's going to be okay. Did y'all know there are 365 days in a year? Say, yeah, I knew that. Do you know how many times the Bible says, do not be afraid? 365 times. Three, one for every day. God says, don't be fearful. Don't be in trepidation. Don't be intimidated. Don't be worried. I am here. Whoop, look at what Jesus said. Son, he says, he laid his hand on his head and he said, stop being afraid because I am here and this is who I am. He said, I am the first and I am the last. You know what that means? It means he's everything, all right? He's from the beginning and he's to the end. He is the king of glory. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe it, friend, just go check the empty tomb. He's the one that arose from the dead. He said, I'm the first and I'm the last. And by the way, John, while I'm talking, I am he who lives. Yep, I died, but I'm not dead anymore. 
whoa, I'm not dead anymore. And I have the keys of hell and death. Rise up, John. Don't be fearful. Don't worry. I am with you. Now think about this. John is banished in exile. He is a prisoner of war, if you will, for the gospel. And he is, he is in a bad place, in a bad way, and Jesus supernaturally appears to him and says, don't be afraid, it's going to be all right. Anybody else need to hear that? Anybody else here today, you're in a bad way, in a bad place financially, in a bad place in your marriage, you're in a bad place with your job, you're just in a bad way. And God appears to you and says, listen, I love you, believe on me, and it will be okay. That's the message, that's the hope of the gospel. So, you see John's response, he falls down, and you see Jesus' response as he lifts him up. What a, what a beautiful picture of what Christianity is all about. Taking hurting, fallen, broken, bruised, battered lives, all right, and raising them up and saying, listen, meet God encounter God, this God that you're fearful of, this God that you think you hate, this God that you've been running for Him from the, for all of your life, this very God really does love you. He crafted you. He formed you. He, he sent His Son, Jesus, to die for you. And by the way, it's in like 3,000 movie theaters all across America. It's like God has a megaphone for America. And He's going, hello, I love you. I am alive forevermore. Go see the movie, by the way. Go see the movie, The Son of God. I think I'm going to go tonight. Andy, I never said yes, but I'm saying yes. Seven o'clock? Where, where are y'all going to be? Oh, and you're buying my ticket. Wonderful. I appreciate, I appreciate that, brother. I'm going to bring my whole family then. That, that's great. And you know, I've been on Facebook, and we got some Facebook Pharisees. They've been tearing that movie up. And I just want to tell them, would you chill out? Well, it doesn't do this, and it doesn't do that. That's just like Roman Downey. What's that Mark Burnett guy know? I said, would you just be quiet? Watch the movie. You Pharisee, it's a good movie, all right? It's about the Son of God who loves us so much that He— I tell you, our biggest problem in Christianity is Christians. We're our worst enemy. I mean, we're just so stinking mean sometimes. No wonder people don't want to come to our church. They might become like us. Mercy. And so go watch the movie. It's amazing. Go look at it. I say it's amazing, I hadn't seen it yet, but if it's about Jesus and it's true to this book, then I'm good with it. I'm going to go see it. And Andy's going to pay for it. It's wonderful. It's just a, just a good thing. So, what time is it? 12 o'clock. One more thing I want to say, and then we'll have time to um, present the awards and so forth. And what I'm about to say is, is controversial. Not everybody agrees with it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyhow. When you really love God, you will love the things that God loves. You will love the church. <laughs> Let me just say it like that. You'll love that guy, whoever that guy is, all right? Preacher, we want him to love us. Amen. Then you love that guy. So I just don't know if I even like that guy. Stand up there. Well, in his right hand, all right? You, you got to love the things of God. You got to love the church. You got to love God's people, God's man. And, and you got to love the things that God loves. And when you do, you start getting excited about it. And you can't help but tell other people about what God has done in your life. I tell you, more, more and more, I talk to people all the time, and I tell them about the Lord. And you know what else I tell them? Uh, Brother Mike, I tell them about this church. I said, this is a missional, evangelistic, Bible-preaching holy hootenanny kind of church. And, and if you don't have a church, then you need to hook up with this church and, and learn from this church and be one of those that's sent out. I was witnessing to a guy 
a few years ago, I was on an airplane, amen, sit beside me in an airplane, it's awful, all right, because I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus, and, uh, and I've said this before, but listen, they can get upset, but they ain't going nowhere, okay? They go to the bathroom, they go to the bathroom, they still got to come sit beside me, and I'm like, what's up, you know, what's up? And so I'm talking to Steve. And Steve is sitting there, man, Steve is crazy, off-the-charts, brilliant, smart scientist. Lo and behold, on this day from Houston to Atlanta, I I wrote down his title. Steve said, I am the director of the Office of Accident Investigation for the Federal Aviation Administration. He said, I'm also on the board of the Columbia Accident Investigation Board. He pulled out his laptop computer and showed me a reenactment on his computer of the, of the destruction of the Columbia spacecraft. And he showed me the tile. Y'all remember this? It's been a few years ago. Remember the foam tile? He showed me how fast it was going when it hit the, the engine and when it blew up. And I was like, this is absolutely amazing. He said, I know it is. <laughs> Man, he's, he's smart and he knows it, you know. I said, sir, I said, I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I just, <laughs> I just want you to know that I think it's amazing that some of the smartest people in the world are also people of faith. You say sometimes, how do you segue to the gospel? Well, that's what I did. And he just kind of looked at me like, and? And I said, well, you know, some of the smartest people in, in, the, in the world are, are people of faith. And here's what I'm trying to say. They, they have this brilliant mind but they also have that capacity to trust in God. And I said, sir, has there ever been a time in your life? You, said, you did not. You did not ask that brilliant scientist if he was a follower of Jesus Christ. I was witnessing to a guy at a football game one time. He turned to me. He says, well, I can't believe you're talking to me about Jesus at a football game. I said, hallelujah. I love him a whole lot more than I love football, all right? So I'm going to talk to you. And he didn't hit me. He just listened to me, but he didn't get saved. And I looked at Steve, and I said, sir, has there ever been a time when you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Listen to me, guys. If that plane goes down, he's going to either heaven or he's going to hell based upon what he does with this Christ. I said, do you know him? He says, well, yeah, I guess I kind of know him, but. I said, but what? He said, I'm not one of those that imposes his beliefs on other people. I said, so what you're saying is you're not very evangelistic and you're not very missionary. He said, that's exactly what I say. I said, sir, I'm just the opposite. <laughs> and he started laughing, and I started laughing. And here's what happened. This old boy was saved. But he had had a bad experience with the... And so I just spent the next few minutes loving on him and talking to him about the Lord. He stood up out of his seat. He shook my hand. He said, I want to thank you so much for taking some time telling me more about Jesus because I know I know I got to get right. I got to get right with him. And that may be you here today. I hope you hear in the ethos of my voice that I am not pointing my finger at you, telling you how horrible you are. You already know you're a sinner, all right? And you know you need God. You know you need Jesus. You know you need these people with all of our freckles and warts and foibles and all of our idiosyncrasies and all of our eccentricities and just our plain weirdness. I mean, we, we just some weird people sometimes. But in spite of that, God loves us, and he, he is in this church, and He wants you to be a part of His kingdom. Most of all, He wants you to part, be a part of His church also, okay? So here's what we're going to do. In a Baptist tradition, most of the time, we, we have what we call an invitation. It's where we all stand, and people who feel impressed to come to the altar, they come and pray. Some come and say, I want to be a part of this church. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be baptized, or I want to learn more about this. And we have all these pastors. You say, why in the world did you do that for? 
Well, it's just our public way of saying we're going to stand for Christ, and if you want to come, you come, and you take one of these pastors by the hand. If you don't, you want to see somebody afterward, listen, we're going to be eating fried chicken, amen, we're going to have a good time, but I'll be available. If you want to talk to me about the Lord, talk to one of these pastors, these deacons, and we would love to share with you, like Daniel shared with these seven teenagers, how you can give your life to Christ, how you can be born again by the Spirit of God, how you can know that when you die, you're going to heaven. So let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you that it is absolutely amazing. That if we'll take the time to study it and dive into it, that God, you speak to us supernaturally. You reveal things about us that it astounds us. And Jesus, as just as John saw you, beautifully arrayed with your amazing, descriptive, the, the physicality of seeing you, no wonder John just fell at your feet as dead. Lord, may we see you, and may we fall down and worship you. May we not be overly concerned about any tertiary, any peripheral thing, or whatever that thing is. May you be the central focus and figure of your church. Lord, this is your church, and we ask you to move up and down these aisles and reveal yourself in power to every person that's here. I pray for our invitation. I pray, God, as we stand and sing and pray that you draw people unto yourself. Lord, we love you very much. We're so grateful that you are not dead, that you are alive forevermore. And by your Spirit, you are still changing lives even today. And I thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing. Jana's going to lead us. Listen, if you got a prayer request, you want somebody just to talk to you and pray with you and encourage you, don't be intimidated, don't be embarrassed, don't be bashful. You just come, let us talk to you, let us encourage you, and then we're going to share a couple of important things with you, and then we're going to go eat. But first things first, let's do business with the Lord today. God bless you. God bless you as we sing.